Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So today uh, we read in the Gospel of St. Luke um, about a parable, um, a parable that many of us um, hopefully are familiar with. Um, it's actually one of those parables that are in the three synoptic Gospels. They're in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they're not in the Gospel of John because St. John does not have any of the parables um, in the Gospel. Um, what's interesting about today's parable is that it's a little bit different. You know how usually when we read a parable, um, when Jesus sometimes gives a parable, sometimes there's like hidden meanings like you're kind of trying to unpack the meaning of the parable, and even the disciples themselves struggled with a lot of the meanings of the parables. Um, and that's why, like for example, like the parable of the sower. If you remember the parable of the sower, the disciples went to Christ afterwards and were like, can you please explain this to us? Today's parable is the exact opposite. Today's parable, nobody was confused about what Jesus was saying. There wasn't really hidden meaning. There wasn't like a secret message necessarily. It was actually kind of like very um, obvious and confrontational, almost, is what I would say. Today's parable, um, Jesus references this vineyard. And if you notice, like the psalm uh, that we read also referenced a vineyard. Um, and it's a common imagery to the people of Israel that they would have been very aware of. Um, especially like in Isaiah, it talks about how God planted a, vi- a vineyard, um, which is like the kingdom of God or the people of Israel specifically. Um, and that God did everything for this vineyard, did everything, 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 but the vineyard could not produce fruit, okay, which is like good works. It did not do the works that God wanted them to do. They did not do the works that God wanted them to do. So the target audience of today, um, which we saw in that last verse, hated this message. Okay, They didn't like this message at all um, because what Jesus is basically saying is that God planted this vineyard. Vineyard is the people of God. I looked, I leased it to vine dressers which are like the leaders or the like religious people that are guiding, supposedly guiding the people of Israel. I looked for fruit. I looked for obedience. I looked for like real relationship with me and I found nothing. Um, and I sent people, right? So like I sent people, I sent servants. And if you noticed uh, kind of the progression in, in, in what, the, um, in what Jesus said. So he first says, I sent uh, the first servant he sends they beat him and sent him away empty-handed, okay? The second one, they do the same, but then he adds this phrase that they treated him shamefully, which must have been really bad because it's worse than beating him and sending him away empty-handed. And then the third one, they did the same to him, but they also wounded him. Like, they made sure, like, he was really hurt. And then finally he sends a son, and they say, and they said, let us kill him. So the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders, know that he's talking about them, and of course they hate this message. If you were there, um, I imagine, uh, you would hate this message too, okay? Like if Jesus is coming and he's saying, this is the truth about my vineyard. I've done everything for my vineyard, just like Isaiah said in the Old Testament. I did everything, I did everything, I did everything, and there's no fruit. And the conclusion that Jesus says is that I'm going to take this vineyard and I'm going to give it to others, okay? And that's why they freak out and they say, certainly not. That cannot be so. If you're like me, you're looking at these guys, you're looking at these leaders, you're looking at the people in general, and you're saying, what's the problem? It seems like an easy solution. It seems like the solution is very simple. Like, just repent, say you're sorry, change your ways, 
and like live your life with God. Like, what's the issue? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? But it's not that simple. Why is it not so simple for the people to change? Why is it not so simple for the people to accept the message that Christ has for them today? The reason it's not so simple is because they are convinced that they're in the right. They're convinced that they are in the right. They're convinced that because of their Jewish ancestry, okay, like that they are the, the people, the, the um, ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like they're God's chosen people, that they're in the right. Who's the Jesus person coming and telling them that they're in the wrong? And even when God sends prophets, and he, like the people today could have been very smart and they could have just looked back at their Jewish history and said, yes, this is us. This is our people. This is the way we react. We, we tend to go away from God and then God sends this prophet to help us out. And God sends them prophets and servants and then even God himself is in the flesh, son of God. And for whatever reason, their hearts aren't moved. Their hearts aren't convicted enough. Which, if you're reading this and you're like me, it's kind of a scary thing to witness. Like, God in the flesh is present, and he is saying, something is wrong here with this vineyard. Something is wrong here with my people. And the people's response is, no, you're wrong. That's kind of a scary thing to witness. Okay, Even the icons are, are fearful. Okay, So it's kind of a scary thing to witness. I think that while we can look at them and we could say, okay, this is why God opened the kingdom to everybody. Like, this is why God opened the kingdom to the Gentiles. This is why we're in, the, in the, the kingdom of God and children of God. And that's great for us. I also think this is a warning for us. It's easy for us, especially as Orthodox Christians, it's very easy for us to say we're proud of our history, we're, we're proud of our theology, proud of like the doctrine that we have, like we have the true faith, we're proud of all these things and those things are great. Proud of like the saints that we have in the church as we should be, okay? We're holding on to all the stuff that the church has passed down and we're proud of those things and all that is good, it's not bad. But what's the point of all of it? What's the point of all of it? Like why are we here today? Is the point so that I can give like a great lecture on some theological concept, is that the goal? I hope not, that sounds like for your sakes, I hope not, okay? Like that, that's not the case, right? The goal of all of it is what? The purpose is that through a life lived with Christ and in the church, in the kingdom of God, that I allow God to change my heart day by day. What we see today, what we witness today, is a resistance to change, which is a scary thing. It's a resistance to change. It's when I believe I'm in the right, that no one can convince me otherwise, that God in the flesh himself can come down, and I still think I'm in the right. One of the most dangerous things in our spiritual life is a heart that's not willing to change is a heart that's not open to change. Today's message is a warning about this refusal to change, or what we can call, and, and we've used this term a lot, is complacency in our spiritual life. There's the trap of spiritual entitlement. I don't know if you guys have, like, have thought about this before, but there is that trap of thinking that we've been given so much, so many treasures, and we have so many great things and we feel proud of it, and that's good, we should. We should feel proud of those things. But if nothing else happens, then we're like a, a child that just gets gifts, 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 and just becomes spoiled with no appreciation, no gratitude, no change. <clears throat> There's a, let's just talk about like a theoretical 
two-year-old because they hear everything. I guess we don't want to mention names. Okay, so a theoretical two-year-old that happens to live in my house. Okay, <laughs> theoretical two-year-old that happens to live in my house. Um, one thing that she has realized recently is uh, whenever we have uh, family members visiting, okay, whether it's like you know, aunts, grandparents, whatever, is she's expecting now a gift, okay? Like a family member's coming, she's like, oh, this must be like this is a great enjoy, like great joyous occasion. Like you're visiting my great presence, okay? Like you're in my amazing presence. I'm expecting like some gift, and of course this is learned behavior because of the gifts that enter the house, okay? But because of this, like that's the expectation. Now imagine if that was the expectation, and every time, and gift, 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 but no appreciation. What you're creating is a spoiled child, okay? God forbid, okay, keep us in your prayers. What you're creating is a spoiled child. Like nobody ever wants that, nobody wants that. And I feel like God pours down his gifts for us, pours down his gifts for us all the time, and gives and gives and gives and gives. And if our response is simply, oh, when is the next gift? Man, like that's a response to God. Like that's rough. Like there's no gratitude, there's no thank you, Lord. I want to change, I want to love you more, I want to grow with you more. That's tough. I always say that if you've come to me in confession, you've probably heard me say this to you before, that the spiritual life is fought between two extremes. The spiritual life is fought between two extremes. One extreme is complacency, okay? And that's kind of like that entitlement thing that we're talking about. And the other extreme is despair, okay? Complacency and despair. There's a beautiful middle in between that we call the spiritual struggle. It doesn't sound beautiful, but it is beautiful. Because that's where God is and God is walking with you and God is helping you. So complacency and despair. We never want to fall into either category. Today, what we see with the Pharisees is they fall into complacency. Okay? Sometimes we fall into despair. It's a separate topic, and that's no good either. Okay? But what we fall into is that sweet middle spot where, yes, I could be confronted with things in my heart that need to change, and I'm willing to struggle. I'm willing to just open my heart to God and ask him to help me change, a willingness to change. God doesn't want us to despair. God doesn't want us to be complacent, but he wants us to walk with him in our spiritual life. And that's why you see the greatest saints saying somehow that they're sinners or the chief, like St. Paul says, I'm the chief among sinners. St. Paul is one of the greatest saints in, in our church. He says, I'm the chief among sinners. But at no point do they doubt that they're loved by God. Okay, those two things are not, those things definitely coexist. Today, after Jesus finishes, finishes this parable, and they respond, they respond with, certainly not, okay? Which it always makes me chuckle a little bit when I read this parable. Like Jesus gives this imagery of like, I planted this vineyard, I, I, I poured into this vineyard, I sent prophets, I sent servants, then I sent my son and you're gonna kill my son. Like what's the logical conclusion? Like your tenants, okay? If I, if I leased you, if, I, if you were renting out uh, like a home, okay? And you're renting out a home and a person trashes the home. What's the logical conclusion? You're gonna find new renters. Like, that's the logical conclusion. You're not going to let them stay there and continue to trash your home. That doesn't make any sense. So he says, I'm going to find new people to take care of my vineyard. And they say, certainly not. And Jesus finishes the parable by saying, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this part, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind them to powder. It's a beautiful message because Jesus is telling them basically you have two options. In my presence, you have two options, because he's the stone. In my presence, you can let me in, you can ask me for help, you can allow me to change you and transform you, or you can reject me. 
And we're all capable of this. Okay, we're all capable of this. The first way of letting me in and changing me and then like allowing God to change me will break you, but in a good way. That's where God breaks our like pride. That's where God maybe like we, we think maybe I'm in a, in a season of life where I'm thinking so highly of myself and God comes in and he breaks my pride when I let him in. Maybe it's a time where God breaks. I'm, maybe I'm like enslaved to like complaining. I find myself complaining all the time. And God comes in and he says, no, I want to change that. I want to give you uh, lips that, that praise, lips that have uh, like a heart of gratitude. So the stone can break in a good way the evil things in our lives. The other one, it also breaks. Not in the best way. Okay, we won't focus on that one so much. Not in the best way. Because if you choose in my presence not to be changed, not to open your heart, not to be honest with me, <clears throat> then it's not because God wants to just judge you and condemn you. It's just a refusal to be healed. It's a refusal to be healed. Like a doctor can't force you to take medicine. A doctor can prescribe medicine. A doctor can help. You can do everything. But you still have free will. You can take the medicine and throw it in the trash. Okay? Like a doctor can't force you to take medicine. And I think if you were to look at the heart of God, and one of the most heartbreaking things is when God pours into his people, pours into his people, pours into his people, and they refuse to be healed. To be honest, this is for me one of the hardest. People sometimes ask me, like, what's the hardest thing about being a priest? This is probably one of the hardest things about being a priest. Is seeing someone who is suffering, like living a life that is self-destructive, a self-destructive life, but they just can't see it, and a refusal to change. A refusal, I'm not even saying going from here to perfection. Nobody can do that. But a, a refusal to even say, I'm just going to let God in a little bit. I'm just going to open my heart and be honest about what's going on. <clears throat> what we see in today's parable is God's love for his children, how he took care of his people, he set them up for success, and all he's asking for return is a fruit of obedience that he himself helps us get. The obedience that he himself helps us attain. He's asking ultimately for us, like he was asking the people of today, that their hearts be changed and transformed by him. Refusing complacency, refusing despair, but finding that sweet spot in the middle where we're letting God in and we're struggling with him and allowing, to work, allowing him to work in us and to change us day by day. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.